know what's happening. Uh-huh. You need to know what's happening. I'm telling you what's happening. I'm tapping in. I'm tapping in with Ali. That's right. You want to know what's happening. Political views. You need to know what's happening. Hella sports. My people, this what's happening. Fashion. I don't know. I'm tapping in with Ali. Let's go. Uh-huh. Money deep, Bay Area champ. Hey, you know it's real if I give it the stamp, real talk. Ali is official, that's my bread trip. And when he's on, I tap in like a fan stay. The podcast, yeah. voice to the people, for the people, by the people. For the good, not evil. What's this? Somebody that uplifts with raw reality? None of that fluff. Hey, sh- Let's talk health care to welfare. Yeah. Or should they have given Cosby in jail? Yeah. Right. You never know what guests you'll hear next. Yeah. Or which of the various topics they gon' flex. Best believe I'ma stay locked. Yeah, just like Money B gon' stay rockin' Shout out to Young Hope, we got bread to make I'ma keep tapping it, make no mistake oh, You wanna know what's happening? You need to know what's happening I'm telling you what's happening You wanna know what's happening You need to know what's happening This what's happening Come on baby, check in all right, you step in with Ali's first podcast, episode one. We got uh, DeAndre Bowman on the line. What's up, D? What's up with you, man? Want to touch base with you, man. I know you got a long uh, history in the, in the military. You did a few tours in Iraq. Uh, go on and introduce yourself to the people. Let them know what you're all about. My name is DeAndre Bowman. I'm retired, sergeant first class, United States Army, infantry, master gunner, did 22 years, recently retired in March 2017. Gotcha. How many tours you do? Right. Like all together throughout my military career of like combat tours, three, but just different kinds of deployments. I've been everywhere from Korea, Germany, Kosovo, Bosnia, Macedonia, Kuwait, Iraq. Been all over. One place I haven't been, I've never went to Afghanistan. That's the one tour I didn't go. And since everybody's real familiar with the Iraq war, and what was your role in that? You know, obviously, were you uh, on the ground? Were you? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm an infantry guy, so, you know, we, we kind of on the ground, front line, up front. You know, it's been times where, you know, I stayed on the Iraqi Army compound in the middle of, like, a sector. It just it, it, it consisted of route clearance, trying to make sure there's no IEDs in the road to just raid, trying to find weapons caches. I mean, you name it, the infantry, you know, we kind of did all that kind of stuff. And in that line of work, obviously, you guys are getting shot at and rockets right, no and all kind of crazy stuff, so... Now that you're back home and you're retired, since the Vietnam War and Korean War and all that, you know, the people back home always are concerned about about the effects of the war on the soldiers. And, uh, I mean, just from talking to you and knowing you, you don't seem like you have effects, but, you know, I'm sure there's levels to it. You know, can you speak to that at all or how you guys go about dealing with that when you get out? One of the hardest things I've actually ever done in my life is transition out of the Army. You know, for like 22 years, you know, you kind of have like a set standard the way things are going to be, you know. So even if you change duty station, you just kind of know like the Army had its way of doing things. You know, transitioning from being a soldier to a civilian, well, I'm going to say this, I don't think I'll ever be just like a civilian anymore. You know what I mean? It's just a different kind of thought process. But it's kind of rough, man, because, you know, you get the cliche, thank you for your service and things of that sort, but nobody really knows like it's a it's a big strain man it doesn't just affect you if you're a soldier and you have a family it affects everybody and i'm learning that as i've gotten out of the army you know my 16 year old daughter has told me things my 22 year old daughter has told me things that i never even really thought about so the effects are they're long lasting man you just kind of basically the way i deal with it is to answer your question therapy therapy if i didn't have therapy if i didn't go to therapy like i do i could be in trouble now, you know, being from our community, grew up in the inner city, Crenshaw District, and all that, uh, right. therapy is almost shunned upon. Like, it's almost like the word itself has such a <laughs> negative stigmatism and connotation. You know, it's starting to come yeah. around nowadays, but, you know, still. You know, immediately, therapy, crazy. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, no doubt. Immediately. No doubt. And, of course, that's not true. I know me personally, like, I don't look at therapy like that, but I have a hard time just talking to someone who I right. don't know. You know, I've had my wife tell me that, you know, sometimes, you know, because the things that I've dealt with with family and just from where we grew up from, she's like, you know, you should probably go to therapy and talk to somebody about that. And I, and I'm, I, me personally, I like, I just, I was like, I probably do. I get it. But I'm not just going to talk to somebody who, because they're going to tell me something and I'm, you know, their credibility is going to be a roadblock for me. And so right. I, 
you know, it's funny is, you know, uh, Miss Cloman, Cleo's mom, has been somebody who right. I've been able to bounce things off of. And she's sort of served as my therapist, not knowing. But, right. you know, I talked to her and could, because she does know all the players involved. And, and what no I'm discussing. So she, and she's always been that type of person. You know, she's, she, you know, she's real straightforward and she'll, she'll listen to you and then she'll give you an honest answer. And it's not trying to steer you in a direction, but trying to help you find your own answers. And no so doubt. I've, I've used her, but tell me about your experiences uh, with therapy. The biggest thing for us in the, you know, coming from the neighborhood where we grew up at is like showing vulnerability is showing weakness. And you show weakness in the neighborhood, like, you ain't going to really have such a good time. You know what I'm saying? So we always trying to make sure that we always have this, you know, this wall up, you know? And right. so going into therapy, so when somebody says you need therapy, we automatically correlate that to just being psycho or crazy or something like that. You know, it's like, man, I don't need no therapy. And so you just try to do things on your own, try to handle things on your own. So sitting in counseling, bro, like, the first time I ever sat in counseling, I was the same way, like you said, like, I don't know this person, how I'm supposed to share and, and all this kind of stuff, man. But I remember the first time I left counseling feeling like, whew, like, kind of like, like, man, I needed to let that go. Like, with, like, no judgment, you know, just in, a, in a, like, in an environment to where I could at least voice my opinions, my concerns, and, like, really work through them without, like, it's feedback, it's constructive feedback. But you feel like if, you, if you're talking to somebody within the family, about certain things, there may be like a, a level of disconnect. You feel me? Like there may be, you know, for instance, I'm a soldier. My wife's not a soldier. She know what I deal with, but she's never really been there. Right. So to be able to get some good feedback, like, you know, this person to tell you something, you're like, oh, I can, I can understand that. It was refreshing. Yeah. It was refreshing and it, and it helped a lot. Gotcha. It also seemed like family members too may try to skew you or use it as an opportunity to get you to think in a way that they've always kind of wanted to steer you, you know? Right. I mean? Like that's where I've had to hang up with that too. It's like, you know, if I, how much vulnerability am I going to show where you're going to start trying to play your own angle? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Like our, <laughs> the way we are, yeah. we use things against each other. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, like when the last time or asking like some silly questions, like when the last time you had, you know, you went to your counselor or, and then that's picking at the sore of the vulnerability, making you feel weaker than, you know what I'm saying? So right. I got where you're coming from. Yeah. And trying to manipulate that kind of like religion. Never mind, We won't go there. But um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's always been my concern because I, I do come from a, a family, not my immediate family that I have now built, but one I came from that's very manipulative, you know. Right. I, I've always found myself, since I was a stronger-minded type of thinker, if right. there was an opportunity to reel me in and help me think on a level that made them feel more comfortable, they would do it. Right. I didn't get where I am today by doing that, so I had to. it was almost like a, a gift that was given to me that I had to protect, and I had to learn that it was a gift before I could protect it because you, you should be able to live and not think that these close people to you would use that against you, but they will. Some, you know, no if you happen to be around those type of people, you know. And well, the thing is, the thing is, man, you that's why individual counseling is like necessary first. Like, you know, people say, you know, say you're having marital issues or something to that effect, you know what I'm saying? And you're sitting in this marriage counseling, like, no one wants to feel like the counselor is picking a side, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, you know, I would tell people. Go to an individual counselor, like work on yourself first. You know what I'm saying? Like just get that out because you're right. It can be manipulated or, or skewed in one direction. You know, what if you're what if you're a passive person inside of the counseling session and you're not really speaking too much, but the other person is verb is is verbalizing everything that's wrong with the relationship. Like how is that working for you? So I understand, like you, you get manipulated and pulling like so you like, well maybe I maybe I am acting this way. We all have all kinds of things that we deal with. I mean before I even got in the army, I had things I was dealing with, didn't necessarily know about them until like I got into my counselor and she's like, oh, bro, you had PTSD before you even got in the military, wow. you know? So, and a bunch of us probably walking around with it, bro. Oh, I think and, and a I, lot of us are, my friend. I'm going to tell you, since yes. since we first had that discussion about it and you brought that up and I've, I've talked to a few people, you know, many that you know 
about some of the things that we do. And if it's that, and all of them are like, whoa, I never looked at it like that. But yeah, right, it is that. And I love to hear from your point of view because you're you're on both sides of the game. Like you're a soldier. Right. And, you know, you're, you know, military soldier and a soldier from our neighborhood, because a lot of times right. guys that are just from one side, like I remember talking to uh, Lauren and he was talking right. about how, like how he was speaking to some soldiers. And he was like, man, listen, I got the same issues y'all have. He said, I, I actually was fighting a war, too. And I was, you know, doing this and doing it, having to, you know, of course, it's by choice. Can you make bad decisions that he admitted? But he even spoke right. to the fact that they kind of got offended. Because he's not a military soldier, so he's like equating himself to them, but right, they aren't right. from his world, so they didn't get the correlation between the two. So there was that 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 sensitivity about. Wait a minute, you ain't a soldier. It's almost like when right. you see guys from right. the neighborhood wear dog tags and they're not from the military. Right. It's like you know you do get some soldiers that are like, wait a minute, you can't wear those. You didn't earn those. And right, you know, no on a, on on a different level, like honestly, if you think about it, man, I mean unfortunately you don't realize it until you're out of it but you're, you're dealing with situations like that from like the beginning like just walking to the park for baseball practice i mean just all the things you got to think about like you pre-plan your route based on if are the gangsters gonna be over here in the back of the park should i go around <laughs> yeah to the front yeah, no doubt is the gangster that i actually know who's gonna let me get by them without getting harassed gonna be with them you know what i mean like all that kind no, of no, stuff it- it all makes sense. Like, bro, I can tell you, so while the neighborhood was the neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it was nothing to be getting on the floor after hearing gunshots during the time we grew up in L.A. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just standard. You know, you hear gunshots, get on the floor. Right. You know, but the neighborhood prepared me so much for the military. I remember being in basic training, and it was a dude there. He was, dude was crying, like, you know, from the stuff that the, that the drill sergeants make you do. You know, just. Right. And the dude was crying. I'm like, bro, what are you what are you crying about? Like I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. Right. Like I'm like, we safe, we eating every day. Yeah, they got us running and doing all, but this shit is easy. Like, what are you crying about? Right. And he was like hysterical. And I that's the first that's one of the most vivid memories, the first memory of realizing like how I grew up really was made the military I'm not gonna say made it easy, but made it a career that I could adapt to and succeed in. You know? Gotcha. The comparisons are there, man. Like, so for instance, first times in a firefight, when bullets started kind of, when bullets started flying and and things of that sort, my instincts just for survival that I've had for a long time, like since I was a young pup, you know, because I'm the oldest of four. Right. So it was all, you know, so you know, being in a neighborhood with a single mom, what comes with all of that? You know, my brothers, you know, so making sure I had to look out after them and stuff. But when the the first firefight, I just remember just like my survival mode just kicking straight in, bro. And I'm just doing the things that I had to do to survive. And like you mentioned, like I've done route clearance, bro, where I had to, uh, you know, prepare a route and try to clear a route to make sure that, you know, vehicles could come back behind me or something to that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's the same thing we used to do. Is Like, man, I don't feel, bro, I don't feel like dealing with these dudes today. Like, yeah, you might know a couple of them. But there's a couple dudes you don't know. Then there's always the dude, you just play too much. Like, you just don't feel like it today. So how am I going to walk home? Like, you might walk way out of your way to get home just to avoid things, right. you know? And right. so it's, it's all kind of the, while they're different, well, they can be completely different, they're so similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. One time I was like, I think you guys don't know what it's like to go to school in the inner city. Like, when I, when I was at Dorsey High, there'd be parties over the weekend. That would have major effects on what happened at school Monday. Yeah. And if, <laughs> if you didn't go to the party Saturday or hadn't talked to anybody, you didn't know how safe exactly. it was going to be to walk to school or what route. If you were affiliated with any type of crypt side of anything, you better walk down exposition to get to school. <laughs> if you were affiliated with the blood side, you could go down rodeo. Yeah. You better not go down exposition. Like, Think about that. Everybody that grew up in L.A., everybody that grew up in L.A. during the time we grew up could run down a map of who was where, what hood this was, what hood was this. I'm talking about from all the way from the west side all the way to the east side. You knew exactly what hood was in where. Yeah. You still, like, even to this day, I mean, I don't know, you know, since I've been gone for so long, I know things have probably changed, but 
you knew what neighborhood you were in. Yeah. Every everybody. It's a map. Yeah. It was a, a it was, yeah, it was a total like people saw one map, we saw another. You know, Absolutely. I was telling some baseball people one time, I was like, man, listen, you can line up all your baseball hats on the wall and you see baseball teams, I see gangs. Oh, that's a gang. I was like, I, I could sit there and go down every single one of those baseball hats as you learn them and affiliate them with a gang. And they, yep, were, they the, were like, the, are you the, kidding me? I was like, yep, all 30 teams. Some of them have multiple. A lot of them have multiple. Yeah, I was like, yeah, then we can't add. wear no baseball hats. No, I was like, no we can add the college teams. I was like, you know, Michigan <laughs> was about four different gangs. That big, that, that gold M on a blue hat. I mean, you know, and then when they started making the hats different colors where you can get a red Dodger hat or you can get a green one or, you know. and Oh, yeah, that's all. That's all it was all trouble. So, like, all of that adds to the mental games that like you had to process just to go to school just to go to the store just to go to baseball practice just to anywhere be outside and and to be a kid who's not a gang member but you're affiliated anyway because you live there bro i was just about so the affiliation thing is 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 big bro because so say you're a kid living in, in, in a certain neighborhood you're not a gang banger you know what people don't understand, the hood is actually, like, it takes care of its own. You know, so the, the big homies know, like, oh, that dude's a baseball player. You know, you know, make sure you get to practice. Make sure he got what he needs and stuff like that. You know, things have been done like that for me. Right. But while you're not a gang member, you're still affiliated. I almost want to say it's, like, almost like a favorite team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, if you live in this neighborhood from the age of, you know, from when you were born until you – 15, 16 years old, bro, that's your affiliation. Yeah. It's just how it works. It's just how it works. You yeah. know what I'm saying? For how many people have seen you out with or or see you around a neighborhood and, you know, somebody say something about some of them dudes or something like that. I mean, you feel a certain kind of way. You may not gangbang, but it's, you are connected to it. Yeah. You are. Yeah. You know? Like it or not, like you, it's just given to you. and It's, it's given to you, bro. And sometimes you it's don't even know because you might – like you said, like we'd be at the park, and I remember the, the gangsters kind of protected the athletes. You know, you were athlete, right. especially if you were like on our level where you, you know, you were getting notoriety and potentially could be, you know, oh, that's the next Daryl Strawberry or Eric Davis. Leave them alone. Right. Don't touch them. Right. Well, because that dude is from that gang and he just protected you, you're affiliated. All day. Yeah. OG, whoever, the, whatever, just said he's untouchable. Your uncle from the hood. You from that hood. Right. You know what I'm saying? Your brother from that hood, you from that hood. How many homies do we have that got older brothers as OGs and the younger brothers? I mean, that's who, you know, that's who he is. You may even get called a different name. You may not be like a name from the hood or something, but this with the neighborhood call you. Right. You know, but you just, you just affiliated, man. That's yeah. just how it works. I remember my neighborhood, they was like, oh, that's Ron Ron, that's Ron Ron. People be like, who, Ron Ron from where? I'm like, I ain't from nowhere. <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> that's just what they be calling me. That's a nickname. Like, no doubt. That's like, how it works. If you got a nickname, you got to be like, eh, nah. It's, that's why I, when I see things like on the news or you see these documentaries not made by the right people, it's kind of like, hey, you guys are missing a lot, but yet you're, you're putting this energy out there. Like, you really should stop. You know how many people tell me, oh, that's Dre, he's from Compton. I'm not from Compton, bro. But they just kind of generalize things. Right. I'm not from Compton. You know what I mean? Like, for them, South Central might as well be, like, all of that is all, you know, because of what the movies and everything put out. You know, but they, they simplify everything for the neighborhood, just basic, like, off of color. Uh, not so much, man. You know, it's, it's way deeper than that. It's, this shit goes back way further than we could ever have thought about, you know? Right. but. All of that stuff, when I think about it, and I think about, like, some of my issues, the the hardest part for me was actually acknowledging that I had PTSD. Like, when, when, the, when the counselor first, when they first told me that I had PTSD, and then when she was like, well, you probably, you have PTSD before you got in the Army. Because I had to work through all of the neighborhood shit before I could even deal with the combat shit. Wow. So I'm sitting in there, I, like, you know, the Army has referred me to this lady, and and, and I'm in there for PTSD, combat-related type stuff. Like, we would hit some of that in the beginning, but for for a long time, like a year or some change, bro, all of my sessions were about my growing up, about how I grew up in Los Angeles. Wow. And I had to get through all of that. I had to work through all of that. Like, uh, I know we talked about before, you know, 
sitting in the restaurant and making sure you can see all the doors, making sure you know who's coming in there, making sh- all of that kind of stuff. You know, that's signs of PTSD, but sh- I've been doing that my whole life. Backing into a parking space, making sure I don't get <laughs> close to the car in front of me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know? Staying out the center lane. Staying out the center lane, bro, I can't. You know what I mean? Not getting gas in the middle lane, making sure I'm parked a certain way to where I can be able to get out quickly. All of that shit is from growing up. And this is from, like, this ain't gangbang. This ain't a gangbanger talking. This is, I was an athlete growing up. You know what I mean? But like you said, affiliated from the neighborhood. But everybody had to think that way. Yeah. You know how many times you've been standing in the front yard in a car drive by at night and you turn your back and back up toward, toward the house? Right. Just making sure. Yeah, keeping your eyes on it. Just keeping your eyes on it, you know? So for the things that I had to go through, in a lot of ways, I was prepared for it without even Army training. Wow. It's funny, too, because I, I find myself, like, as much as, like, sometimes I need the energy from the neighborhood, like, I want to go, I go back, and I and I feel it. I feel the love. I feel the, I love the energy from the people. I see the entrepreneurship developing a lot, especially around the, the new Lamert Park and, and uh, right. like, uh, over there, like, off of Crenshaw, like where we were, like where Earl's is, and the energy. I love the energy, but then there's also like when I'm driving down, saying, if, especially if I take the streets, man. As I get closer, I almost feel like like the armor come on. You know what I mean? Like I feel I start watching a little more. I start uh, driving a little different. You know what I mean? Like, and it's so subconscious. I'm not thinking about it, but it just well, happens, and it's I weird. Think, I, <laughs> I think part of that is. Uh... See, when you, when you grow up in the neighborhood, you part of the neighborhood. Like, you know everything. You know what store you want to go to. They got the cheaper sodas. Right. You feel me? Like, all of that kind of stuff. You know, you go down here, you go get your chili Fritos over here. You go, you know, you don't mess with that store because you know all of that because you part of the neighborhood. You part of the everyday ins and outs of it. Right. I understand what you're talking about. See, you're not part of that anymore. So you don't really, like, you got to know a certain amount of information to feel comfortable in the neighborhood, bro. Right. You know? Right. And if you don't have that information, that kicks in like that anxiety kicks in because you know what what is what is what's capable of. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. So, I remember when my daughter went. She was, I want to say, about four years old. And we were we were sitting at, at McDonald's, and I'm like, "Yo, I would never do this." On, on <laughs> I was on, just thinking <laughs> that like it was never an option to sit in McDonald's and eat. <laughs> never. I remember my grandmother would come into town, and she was like, I want a Big Mac. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, we'll go to McDonald's over here off of uh, La Cienega and Robertson. Like, over, yeah. She's like, but this one right here. I'm like, yeah. Nah. It's 12 o'clock, though. That drive through going to be packed. Like, you know, I would yeah. try to make excuses. And I was like, nah. You know, and yeah. there should be sometimes she'd be like, well, let's just sit down and eat. No, nah. Let's, nah. let's go back to the house, Grandma. I got I got practice soon, so I just want to eat, and then I can get dressed and go to practice. I had practice that day. <laughs> just no like, doubt. Whatever I could get her without hitting her with the heavy stuff, you know, because she did yeah. worry about us, you know, where we did live. But I was like, no, eh, no. you listen. Let's say the one I'm talking about on LeBrody on LeBrea, like you know, especially in summer school, like we be in there having right. big fun, joking, bagging on each other, having the best time ever. And then somebody pull up in a drive-through, see somebody in there for whatever reason, they didn't have some type of dispute or something somewhere. And boom, right. all this fun just turned into tragedy. Oh, it's, that's on repeat, bro. That's happened more times than we probably can count. Right. In, much, in, in many different places, you know? And, and I think, like, the biggest effect of that on us mentally that I'm starting to process is all these things are things that create, like, some of the mental strain on, especially the males. Like, you always felt like a target. And you felt like a target from the streets. You felt like a target from the police department. You yeah. felt that from the adults who just looked at you a certain way because you listened to you didn't listen to Marvin Gaye, you listened to Tupac. You, oh, you, yeah, you had that. You know what I mean? We had our our what we call our bougie section that looked down on us. <laughs> right. You know? Like you you catching right. hell from all over, and then when you want to talk about it and say, man, like it shouldn't be like this, especially like us that played all star level athletics, you got to right. go to other places where you saw. That was not their life. Like, these people are getting up in the morning and eating and going to the park and just playing with their brothers and sisters with the, with both their parents. And and you're sitting there kind of bugged out. It's like a culture shock. Like, dude, this, that y'all actually do this every Saturday? 
No, it is a culture shock, bro. Right? Especially, and I found that more when we went to Revere. And then you start having friends from other cultures and yeah, other yeah. environments. And it was just like, yeah. whoa, wait a minute. This is Always this different. isn't normal. Like this, you know what I'm saying? Like waking yeah. up to arguing is it normal? Like wow. Like oh well, man, I want was, some of this. Party Vere was such a weird place. Yeah. So when we went to Party Vere, you had the older cultures that you get involved with if you was in certain classes, and you had it was fights all every day, all day at Party Vere, bro. Yeah. All the time. All yeah. the time. It was funny because you had like kids from the inner city getting bust to Brentwood. So yeah. it's like so it's like we're 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 coming so it's not like we're unified, like we're coming from different parts of the town. So all different parts, bro. So there's like uh it's side like eyes all day. You know what I mean? Then oh. it's then it's you know the teachers and the faculty in the neighborhood didn't want us there. You know what right. I mean? I remember yeah. specifically a teacher, Miss Morshauser, a math teacher. That woman hated us. Oh. And she hated me particularly because I used to go at her. You know, I told her one day, I was like, Look, I know you hate me and my culture, but your kids are going to work for me one day. And she sent me yeah. to the office. Because I told her <laughs> She said yeah, I, Nobody can stand that lecture. Hey, dude, she told I, me, I, I she you. said I threatened her. I was like, I didn't threaten her. I told her that her kids were going to work for me one day. And, of course, everybody in the main office is looking at me like, you shouldn't have said that. I'm like, hey, she shouldn't have said every, most of the things she said to me. <laughs> most of them. You can, you can feel the difference from Ms. Morshaw. Yeah. You can feel I, the difference. That was the first time I felt racism. Straight yeah. up, that was the first time I felt racism yeah. was from that woman, and it was like whoa, and and, and it was it was so I, I mean I was like she never dropped the n word on us because you know she just couldn't. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure that was very much a part of her vocabulary because she said everything but, and she showed everything, but you know what's the trip, man, about the racism thing for home, mm-hmm. you know, with me living being in the army and living down south right now, and you know living different places, like I always say, I never really grew up with racism you know what i'm saying i i never really felt it and i think about it we were hella segregated at home hella segregated like we were around us most of the time i didn't really have to deal with nobody else like it's it's different in different places you know like we were all in certain neighborhoods and you know of course we got bust out to school but you know kids are going to be kids it was never anything like that for us you know it wasn't out front like that yeah it was funny because that part of it honestly i didn't feel that from the other kids i just felt it from the teachers so then, from the kids. so then taking that full circle, like all the experiences that we have, like growing in the inner city and all that, and then mm-hmm. now, how do you deal with this PTSD? Cause, okay, we, we just diagnosed it for sure. Right. Like, we have it. Everybody right. in the neighborhood. Right. Anyone listening from the neighborhood that didn't think they had it before the last 35 minutes, know they have it now. So now, the, right. now what do we do? I mean, you have more experience with it. Um, I do like the fact that the climate is there for us to be able to talk about it, and it's not as much as crazy. Um, the right. words, I like to use the the term that, that we kind of came up with, the urban PTSD, because I want to water down the stigmatism of PTSD. Cause as soon as they, it, it's almost like PTSD is used to write off a soldier who's got issues. You know what I mean? Like uh, I, I feel like they, it, it's immediately, he's got PTSD, he's crazy as hell. He's over there talking to himself. He might have a flashback, shoot everybody, <laughs> leave him alone. You know what I mean? Like that is it's almost right. like gives the the quote unquote civilians a pass to oh, write off. Just to write it off. You know, and, right. and still say, I support my troops. It used to be that way. I feel like it used to really be that way. You know, because even, you know, a lot of leaders in the army will walk around with, you know, having certain issues and, you know, try to hide it. It's it's easier to cope with it when you're with people that are dealing with the same thing. And that's kind of something with the neighborhood too. You know, everybody's dealing with the same thing. So you coping with it and you guys don't even know you're using coping skills to kind of like maneuver through this part of life, right. you know? So while I was in, I didn't really have a hard, super hard time with it when I was in. It was when I got out and I wasn't around people like me anymore. And I was dealing with people that had no, that it really started to kind of manifest itself to where, oh man, like we got to take care of this. I think the first part that we need to really get past is the stigma that we have on counseling. Right. Everything has been like, with, with, with the word counselor equals negative. So when you hear like, I got to go to my counselor, I got to go to my shrink, you're like, who, who does that? But here's the thing though, bro. People outside the neighborhood been going to counseling for decades, bro. Right. Decades. So that, that's another thing that we got part of. How many of the, you know, little white dudes or whatnot that went to Paul Revere? Did you know that 
you would say like they had shrinks, right? They right. had shrinks of psychiatrists, right? Right. And he was like, and we just kind of laughed. I'm like, this fool got a shrink, man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, he crazy, he man. Watch that fool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do push-ups. We'll do sit-ups. We'll run. We'll hit the gym. We lift weights. Working on all that physical. You know what I'm saying? Right. Dude would be adamant about, I don't eat no pork. Oh, I don't eat that, I don't eat clean, all that stuff, for everything for the physical. Right. What do we ever do to like to help the mental? Right. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no mental conditioning going on, bro. None. None. It's nothing bad with helping your mind. Right. Nothing wrong with it. No, no. You know, no. like we just we can't carry around shit. And that's one of the things I found out, man, I was carrying around shit from like when I was like eight years, I was carrying shit from like eight years old. You think just because you're 40 that you're not dealing with some shit from 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. No. If you haven't addressed the issue, you're dealing with it every day. You know what I found too, man? Sometimes even before that, like I deal with a lot of family issues that uh, manifested before I was even born. Oh. And, like, and because those people didn't <laughs> yeah. deal with it, it came into me. And now I'm kind of at a, at a crossroads where I don't want to pass that to my child. So I'm actively fighting against it, doing some homework. And I, I refrain from speaking about it a lot or speaking about my methods of dealing with it, who I'm talking to, what I'm reading, because I don't want someone trying to take control of that or get me to think a certain way. That's the part that right. I'm like defensive about. Don't try to make me this person you want me to be. I'm going to be me. Well, I, if you really know me, you know you can't do that. But some people will still try. Right. That's another big thing with counsel. So you have to you have to be relatable. Like the, the person you're speaking to has to be relatable. They have to have some kind of experience. Like the counselor that I go to now, her husband is an Army retiree. You know, he retired like maybe about, I think, 10 years in front of me. But she went through all of the struggles with him that, you know, I go through. There's some similarities there. There's some trust there. You know, for instance, you know, if you got a basketball team in the neighborhood, say you got Crenshaw High basketball team and you, you want to hire, you know, a white coach to come in there and coach that. Like the first minute and a half, they trying to see if they can relate to you. Right. If you're unrelatable, it's going to be a problem. That's just how things are, right? Like. So, for instance, like in the neighborhood I grew up in, I don't know nobody in these neighborhoods no more. You know what I mean? I've been gone for, shit, 25 years. Right. So, you got to build, you have to build up a certain level of trust. The thing is, man, our folks don't trust nobody. Right. Man, that's big. They don't trust nobody. I mean, even, and, and, and the thing is, you're talking about the culture of your family. Because I, I talk about it as well, like changing the culture, flipping the culture. You know, from, you know, I come from, what I come from a single mom. You know, raising three boys in the neighborhood. I mean, you've been to places I live. I actually lived on Crenshaw Boulevard for a long period of my time, of my life, right? right? I mean, we all know that apartment. Me being the first person to get my degree, the first person to own a house, you know, my kids are in college. That's a whole culture flip. Right. You feel me? Like, and where we started from, there's no trust. There's no, there's no, there's no connection. Even in our families, bro. Yeah. Even our fa so the biggest thing that drove me, bro, is I was tired of struggling, bro. I, I did not want to struggle like everybody in my family was struggling. Right. I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to live like that. Right. Right. So, yeah. Same here. So that's what pushes you. That's what pushes you outside of your comfort zone. Push you out. The but the thing is, you know, we gotta have something that makes it comfortable for people to leave outside of those little comfort zones. And what are they? Right. You know, how do we youth groups? You know. What do we do? And it's tough, too, man, because, like, things that would have worked for us don't work for this current generation. You might find one kid out of the group of 100 that just needs what we would be able to give them. Like, when I went back, you know, I, I ran into you. you we met up at right. uh, Crenshaw's baseball field, man. Trying to talk right. to those kids, man, I was just like, whoa. I remember being at a game, and I was trying to tell this one little boy. You know, I seen what he was doing. He wasn't lining his knuckles up. It's a very simple thing. Really simple. Totally. Like, one of the first things in life. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you need to line your yeah. knuckles up. As soon as I tell him that, the mother yells to him, you don't change the way you bat. You do exactly what you've been doing. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Hey, you so, know what the biggest problem in that in that statement that you made, though? Mm -hmm. is, is, is the person that told him not to change anything. Yeah. We absent. Like, we absent in a lot of places. All that relates to PTSD. Like, being a young man growing up in a neighborhood with no pops. And you got questions about shit. Yeah, and, and it was sad, too, is because I think of how much of a role coaches played in our lives. You know what I mean? And, and I look at, like, this woman's 
attitude toward her kid being helped. I was like, seriously, lady, how many men are helping your kid? You know well, what I mean? She has a stigma. She probably has a stigma probably against it. You yeah, know what I mean? Like she, I, I had to she's protecting get, her son. Well, she even said that. She's like, I've been having to coach him and be this and go take the practice all his life. Uh -huh. And I see he was an all-star here, all-star there. I was like, there's no way that boy was an all-star. I didn't tell her this, but no way he was an all-star lining his knuckles up like that. There's no way he was. And I'm looking at him. He's not. He's like an Urkel-type kid. You know what I mean? Like I was like, just no, you know, not that a nerd couldn't be a good baseball player, but he wasn't athletic at all. Those are all the things that we adapt to, though, man. We create all of these ways to function and maneuver through life. I mean, while they work and they help you get through life, they might not necessarily be the right thing to do. Yeah. You know how I'm coming from? And like, you create these, these habits that are not right. You create these unhealthy habits. Right. I mean, we're all closed off in the neighborhood. We do not that like everybody's close you're close you off know. but it ain't 100% cuz when you do like at least for our generation I feel like we we were open to coaches once they prove themselves <laughs> yeah once they prove themselves <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> but yeah that, so absolutely. there has to be a percentage of openness to give them their shot to prove themselves right you know what yeah, I mean you got to give them a little bit you, you do got to uh, something's there it's rough though yeah, it is. Like, you sit there and, you you know, you like, just coach starts talking. And, again, it came down to credibility. Like, you know, show me something. If it worked, now nah, listen again. Like, I remember uh, when I was at Dorsey, Chris Brown, uh, he was actually, a, you know, he's a Crenshaw graduate, played for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah. He was on Daryl Strawberry and team. And he kept watching me hit, and I'm on Dorsey's team. And he seen me hot while I was missing a curveball. And he was like, hey, right. man, you want to hit that curveball? I was like, nah, bro, I don't want to hit the curveball. I want to keep striking <laughs> out. You know, being a smart ass, you know. Right. And he was like, listen, if you, if you could stop being a smart ass and listen to me, he said, like, I can make sure you hit that curveball every time they throw it. Do you want to work? I was like, I'm not paying you. I don't have no money. He's like, do you want to work? He said, your payment is sweat. And I'm like, man, this dude sound like Debbie Allen from the – from the fame right. opening sequence. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, Debbie. I was like, yeah, right. I'm willing to work. We, I was like, I want to, after this game's over, let's work. And he was like, oh, you willing to work right after the game? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay. After the game, he showed me some stuff. Then he came around again, he showed me some stuff. I'd be damned if I didn't hit that damn curveball. No doubt. And but he, you see all the stuff you had to work through, though? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he had to be willing to put up with a shithead. Like, I was being a little shithead in the beginning, you know, like, kind of, yeah. like, who are you, for one? You know, I didn't find out that well, who he was until after, you know, when I when I was talking to Crenshaw's coach when he was recruiting me to come over there. He was like, you know right. that guy you were talking to? I was like, yeah, Chris. He was like, that's Chris Brown, man. This is pre-Google. Like, we didn't have Google. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, right. I was like, who the hell right. is Chris Brown? Like, you know, <laughs> He was like, do you play it on Daryl Strawberry's team? He's a former San Francisco Giant. Well, you know, bro, nowadays, I mean, there's more Chris Browns out there than we than what we uh, actually get credit for. You know, um, the problem is we got to work through all the negativity to even let the dude have a chance to be, even be able to mentor us. Right. And I know that to be a fact from growing up in the neighborhood. Like, you just have all you, – you've been – I feel like you've been let down so much that you just don't have, or or the fear of being let down. Put it like that. Put like you, you may not have been let down too many times, but the fear of being let down was just too much to bear to to be able to try to do something else. You know, right? And and that's all part of like all of that stuff. All of that kind of feeds into PTSD. That that urban PTSD stuff. That's all feeds into it. You know, one of the things I learned about was uh, this thing called a negativity bias. And the negativity bias is like, it's our fear of, you know, like, for instance, a good example is when you were growing up, you know, when you got to high school and somebody asked you, you know, what you want to be in life or something like that. If you said an MLB player, they'd be like, hey, man, for real, what do you want to be? Yeah. That's impossible. That's impossible. You're not going to play in the major leagues, right? So you need to do something safe. You need to get you a job with some benefits. You know, how many people even heard to clap it up, you know, like. Oh, he got a job at UPS. He got benefits and everything. Oh, shit, he done made it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, failing to dream. Learning about this negativity bias, one of the, one of the, um, one of the uh, activities they had us do was make a bucket list. Mm. Bruh. So, to make a bucket list, and they say, well, you know, how many people had, they gave us like a, a minute and a half, two minutes to, to make this bucket list. Mm. And they say, uh, all right, raise your hand if you have 50 things. I'm looking around like, I'm like, who the fuck got 50? Like, that shit don't even, 60? Like, damn. 
20, 25 people raise their hand. You know, 10 people raise their hand. I'm like at five or some shit. But I got a lot of things crossed out because I'm writing them down. It's like, uh, you ain't going to be able to do that. You ain't going to be able to do that. And when I counted off the, the things that were scratched off, along with the things that I had, I, le- I legit had like 30 things on there. Uh. We never thought about no damn bucket list because we ain't never been able to really think freely like that. Right. You just trying to get you just trying to get from one moment to the next damn moment. Bruh, I'm trying to get to school without getting my eye dotted this morning. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get off this bus, make it home. Yeah. For real. And if you did think long term, you thought I gotta make it to twenty one because they say I'm not going to. Remember oh, that one? Oh, I remember that. <laughs> That's sad, I man. Remember, <laughs> it's terrible. It's, one of my mom's biggest things that she used to tell people was, I raised three boys in South Central and ain't none of them ever been locked up. Oh, she proud as hell about that shit now. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they all still alive. Bro, she proud as hell about that, you know? Man. But that's all that, like, we just, we just, we, we start off in survival mode from day one. Yeah. And see, I see that in two different ways. Like, she should be hella proud. No, hella but, proud. But Real she proud. shouldn't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, she should. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, yeah. that shouldn't be a barometer. Like, that should have been a given. That that should not. That negative ass thing. Not not like she's proud, like, you know, where people that live in the suburbia say, oh, yeah, all my, you know, little Jimmy's, he, he just enrolled in Auburn. He'll be the fourth one to graduate from Auburn University. Right. Nah, my mom's shit was none of my none of my sons been locked up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of them one of them might not have graduated from high school, but they ain't locked up, bro. Right. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> man, it's crazy. That's just, that all feeds into it, bro. That, and, and the thing is, like, as we talk about that, bro, listen. You know, we wanted to talk about the PTSD stigma, bro. Do you see how much shit you have to get through to even really like that's all this shit we pushing through to get to the part of like letting the therapy even help you. And acknowledgement in our community is the hardest part because you're told to just get over it. Just get over it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's the norm. Don't be a little punk. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Don't be a a punk. punk. And I wonder, did you catch that when you came home, right? And you're, you're dealing with people trying to relate to you that obviously really can't fully. Where you getting, all right, but you're home now. One of the hardest things that I had to work through was having a wife from the neighborhood as well. You feel me? She's always seen me as, you know, a tough dude, you know, a strong-minded dude, a provider for my family, the rock of the family. Like, even for, you know, you, you grew up with me, you know, my family even depends on me like that. I, you know? Yeah. So she started to get kind of worried that I, I was having these nightmares. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, I was having these nightmares, right? I was getting up in the middle of the night. I was sweating. And it was crazy. It was it was hella crazy, bro. Like these nightmares were something else. But before that, I told her when I when I first told her, I was like, you know, they they think I got PTSD. Her first thing is like, nigga, you ain't got no PTSD. Ain't shit wrong with you. You feel me? Like right. because she just always seen me as this 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 dude. You know what I mean? But so. Once the defense, once the once the uh, the the blockers and the and the defense mechanisms that I had built up, but also from being around dudes that was dealing with things every day, too. Once I got outside of that and I started having these nightmares and was dealing with guilt real bad, bro. I was dealing with guilt real bad, like survivor's guilt and shit like that. Right. When she started to see that stuff, like I could I could feel her like being out of place. Like she didn't really know how to deal with me with that. You know, it was. Cause it was foreign territory. Right. It was foreign territory. She didn't know, like, this is just one of the strongest men I know in my life, and he don't necessarily have it together right now. Right. You know. So when you talk about people receiving it, it, this was embarrassing, bro. Like, and I just had to just, I had to deal with it, and then I just, and it made me just start explaining things to my kids and whatnot. But my daughter, man, she was, they were doing some kind of questionnaire or something in class, man. I think she was like in seventh grade, and she mentioned something about. My dad has PTSD and he scares me or something to that effect. You know what I'm saying? And right. that was like a big moment, bro, when I was like, damn, bro. Like, <laughs> you understand how big of a reality check that is, bro? Like, you know, so I'm so while I'm thinking that I'm 
hiding this and make and doing a good job of like maneuvering through it, my family members were suffering before I even let them know like that I needed help. Right. Wow. You know? The same daughter asked me, did I think what I did was worth leaving my family for? Yeah. You know, because now she's seeing my she's seeing how I'm like, you know, she knows her pops. You know what I'm saying? She like, you know, you ain't in so many words, it's a little girl saying, you know, you, you your shit ain't all the way tied tight, you know? Right. Um, so you think that's worth it? You know, you think what you do is worth it? Mm. I still ain't asked. I still ain't answered that question. Could you? Are you <laughs> now? Have you not answered it? Could you still search for an answer? It's just a heavy question, bro. Like, yeah. On one on one end of it, I legitimately flipped a whole culture of my like from where I started from, where I come from, to how I live now, and how my my family lives and how my children live and what they're used to and what they're, you know, and how they're growing up. Hell yeah, it was worth it. Right. For the, for the relationship portion of it, you know, my wife told me one time, bro, I came home man, I was acting up, still had my uniform and shit on. And she was like, look here, man, don't ever bring Sergeant Bowman back in my house again. Hmm. Right. Like, we don't like that. Mother. Wow. So you, and bro, I started to, I had to start changing my clothes before I came home. But it kind of helped me because it, it separated me from that guy to just, you know, being a pop. Right. You had to take it the armor just, off. I had to take it off, bro. And there was some pushback. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, there ain't no different. I'm the same way all the time. i been like this. And it wasn't until I started to, you know, do some therapy and, like, actually get through, like, the muddle and all the other stuff around it and get to the other side to see, like, damn, because I was kind of hard to deal with. Yeah, you know, so hey man, but listen, like it's a blessing that they was willing to risk everything they was risking to tell you. you know oh I mean? yeah, because some people deal with that and don't say nothing and just start making their plans to deal with life without you. You, you know, the thing is, man, but though being a military family and moving around, it makes you as a family unit closer because you don't have any of those. uh those crutches as you will, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, you know, my wife and I being this mug, if, if we have a disagreement, you know, she can't hop in her car and go to her mama's house. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'd rather deal with it inside of here than go tell us, like like we talked about before, than go spilling our business out to a stranger, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So, so it makes us closer. So by us being so close with each other, you know, I, like you said, it's a blessing, man. I thank God that they were able just to be like, you know, like my kids were, uh, brave enough to be like, you know, just to be able to voice their opinion sometimes, you know? And so. to your credit, you listened, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, again, like, we don't, we, we got to learn to listen. That's the biggest thing with having uh, somebody that, that's there for you. Right. Because, you know, we can have good conversations all the time. And there's, you know, and it goes on all the time with, 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 with conversations is, you know, somebody might bring up a good point. I mean, it's happened with us just in this conversation. You ready to talk, you all, you dang near stop listening. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah. because you're just ready for the rebuttal. Where when you, you know, you got this one-on-one counselor, like they're sitting and listening, like you, you're talking and taking notes and they give you some feedback on it. And, you know, I, I want to make sure I, I let it know right now. I, mean, I go every Tuesday, 11 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> every Tuesday, 11 o'clock, I get an hour a week. You know, 20, I've been doing it for four years now. So when I was getting ready to process out of the Army, they, they you know, you go through this screening and uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I had to go deal with some anger management things through my career, which we, that's PTSD. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. uh, so I had some counseling. The dude asked me, he's like, when the last time you seen a counselor? And I was like, it's been years. And so I go and I go speak to this initial counselor. And my junk was so bad to where he used the term of your rubber band's about to pop. Wow. He, he, he literally told me, your rubber band's about to snap. Like, and he was like, there's nothing, you know, with you transitioning out of the Army, we just going to refer you off post to a civilian because you're not going to be able to, your treatment, you're not going to be able to, to finish your treatment here. And they sent me to the lady that I've been going to for four years. Wow. Now, do they pay for that for you or you pay out of pocket? I got medical insurance for the rest of my life since I retired out of the army. So they it's it's paid for I pay like a copay but it's nothing. It's like thirty bucks or something like that. But yeah. Um So it's but, a part uh, of your insurance. 
Yeah, it's part of my insurance. It's part of my insurance. Now, I want to make sure I say this too. We we live in a day and age of the pharmaceuticals. You know, like they want to medicate you for everything. Like there's more kids on medication nowadays than I've ever known. Like I never thought it would be like this. So, you know, of course they tried to prescribe me medication and all this kind of stuff. Bro, I, I never took any of that shit. Like I literally got to the other side of this mentally by being able to work through the shit that I was carrying and just have somebody to talk to with the counseling. Like I've been in with the counselor with my wife and my other three kids before individual sessions. Yeah. You know, and she explains to them like how the how the brain works, how, how you know, when you have PTSD, you process things differently. Right. And it's important, like so can you imagine like having something on your body functioning and you don't really know how it works? That shit sounds ridiculous, right? Right. But that's what's happening to people in the neighborhood that's walking around with just urban PTSD and they don't know it. So this shit functioning in them, they don't even know why it's functioning in that way. Right. And it's controlling their life. It's controlling their lives, bro. It's controlling that dude. What, what do you think the chances are? There's somebody right now that lives in Los Angeles, in the inner city, in the neighborhood that's never been to the beach. Oh, it's probably sixty forty. Shit is ridiculous, right? Yeah. But they condition that way, bro, because they they don't know what's what's safe outside of my box. Right. It's PTSD, bro. It is. Like I can't having anxiety, having anxiety to leave the location like right. legit having anxiety if you got to go three to four blocks outside of your neighborhood and you know it's funny that you brought that up that it just made me think of this because we always talk about how like the the successful people that we know are the athletes you know they come out mm -hmm. of the neighborhood usually the athletes the athletes actually because of their talent get out of the box very young yeah Yes. Very young. And so your perspective is really different if you have that experience because you do get out. You do experience things outside that box. I guess the only thing negative of that is you end up having two lives because you can't talk about what you experienced over there back home because then they'd be like, oh, you, right. you think you better now because you're over there hanging with that, those type folks. Off the top. You know what Off I mean? Off the top. <laughs> and then you can't really talk to, you know, these people outside of your box because you tell them about what you experience on every day and they're going to judge you and think you're just as crazy as that stuff, even though that's your normal. So you end up having Real this, tough. you know, I tell people, like, I was a Gemini, but I was like, but I think everybody has that duality because you have to manage that. So not only do you have these issues as one, you have issues as two because you got to right. keep these two worlds separate because neither side relates to the other. Bro, it's crazy. That's a great point because that's one of the biggest things that I had to work through was that, that Sergeant Bowman and DeAndre are two different people. Yeah. They're two totally different people, bro. Like, while they have similarities, like, I can't give you the same DeAndre that I gave you when I was 18 years old. That dude, is he just don't exist anymore. You know what I'm saying? As much as, like, you know, yes, I graduated from Crenshaw. Yes, like, I grew up in the neighborhood. Yes, I grew up in some rough areas. Yes, I did. I've been so far removed from that that I'm not saying it's not part of me anymore, but I've seen different things, like you said, you know? And mm -hmm. so you try to hold on to both of them, and what happens is you're in, like, this tug of war with yourself. Mm -hmm. And... And you can't, you can't, you can't do that. You know what I mean? So, you know, people, oh, he think he, and we, we so, man, we so bad with that shit, man. We so terrible with it. Oh, this is, we think he better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think I'm better. I came from the same place you come from. Right. I'm trying to tell you that you're better than what you think you are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Real talk. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff, man. But yeah, it's, this counseling, man, like if I could get everybody you know, I don't know how we're going to do, you know, raise some awareness about it. But, man, like, we worked on our mental health, man, as much as we worked on our 40 times, you know, anything that's physical. Right. Uh, that's where we lacking right now. We lacking. We lacking. We need that. Well, hopefully what we're doing now helps. And, and you do have people out there like Charlemagne the God that's out there really pumping mental health. I think the NFL issue with, with people like when uh, Junior Seau killed himself and all these right. other guys, that you know, I mean, hopefully they don't just associate the NFL thing like how they used to do with the military and, and just write that off as like, well, I don't play football, so I don't have 
that issue. Right. You know? and that's why I wanted right. to talk about this with you because like it's more way more relatable. You know, we're you know even though we're former athletes, we're amateur athletes. We didn't we're, we we didn't get right. the issues we have from that. If if anything, we got perspective from that. You know, the issues right. were 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 given. Un, you know, we didn't pursue that. It came to us. It it, it just is what it is. And and neither one of us we're not you know for those those listening we're not knocking where we come from we're speaking the real, and sometimes the right. real the real, you know it it just is what it is and you can accept all the good things that come from there when you navigate yourself through the bad and accept them and deal yeah. with them and, and rock with it. If you look through history, you know great change came from a sacrifice. And real thoughts. So, so yeah. you you made that for your family. I I tried to make it for mine as a whole, and you know because of the age difference, you know the adults don't want to follow the kid. So right. eventually, I'd be like, okay, well, y'all go your way. I'm gonna go CEO this other corporation, which is my immediate family now, and that unit is operating as I wish the other one would have, and that's more important to me anyway. So right. So that. You know, those, again, no sacrifice. The sacrifice and the fact that I had to accept the fact that the people I wanted to help didn't want the help. But me still keeping that mind has benefited my daughter, has benefited my family life. You know what I mean? I have a partner who's equally a part of the leadership fiber of the family, and, and we do it. You know what I mean? And, and right. I see what it does for my daughter. Like, my daughter has supreme confidence. You right. Know? And I believed in myself. I always felt like an outsider because I did, because I didn't understand where that came from, because nobody around me did. You know, and I wasn't real spiritual, like, as far as God and all of that. But then I got right. I was like, man, it got to be a guy. Why do I have this particular skill that none of these other people possess? Why did right. he give it to me? You know, if he gave it to me, it's not just for me. You know, now that I'm older, I'll be like, okay, that was my purpose. Am I, was I supposed to share that here, there? You know what I mean? And, I, and I've kind of, I think right. I figured that out. But at the time, it, it was confusion. And I couldn't ask that question to the people around me because I basically would be telling them that you guys don't think like this. And, and they would have taken well, it negatively and not given me <laughs> the answers. You know, it, it would have yeah, been like, oh, you think you're better than us. I'm like, no, I just think differently. But that's a negativity bias, bro. And you know that negativity bias, like that breeds other things, like, that, that shit breeds low self-esteem. Right. Where one of the biggest things that, that hit that punched me in the ribs that my counselor told me, she was like, you know, low self-esteem is a byproduct of PTSD. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. I don't have no low self-esteem. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, growing up, you think about how many times you second-guess yourself, how many times you didn't want to do nothing because you was afraid to be laughed at or, or picked on. or You got where I'm coming from? Like, the, yeah. ne the neighborhood with the negativity bias is cruel, bro. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I didn't look at it that way either. So you just said that. That is. you. Yeah. You got to process that. It goes deeper. That's why I'm trying to, you know, as we talk, like, throw out different nuggets that I've gotten from this, from going through this counseling to let people know, like, all of that shit contributes, man, into, like, having a healthy mind or an unhealthy mind. You know, it's like you right there on the edge, bro. Like, all you deal with all the things you got to deal with. Just take a normal, just a regular neighborhood kid just that has to deal with the, the different things and the ups and downs every day. It's a lot to deal with, bro, by yourself. You know what, man? We survived it. We did it. We're yeah. surviving it. Let's say that. We're surviving. We're still dealing with it. It's going to be an ongoing, ongoing process that we're going to no. win, just like we won everything else. Right. And we're going to share with the world, and hopefully they, they – uh contribute to and then we can learn from them and it becomes a full circle of learning instead of a full circle of digging each other into a deeper deeper hole of hiding and not dealing with stuff and medicating with weed marijuana alcohol yeah. and whatever else these kids decide to oh, they pop all kinds these of days nowadays. clorox and other madness and shit. i don't know tie <laughs> 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 detergent like all this <laughs> other foolishness yeah, it ain't no boundaries Man. It ain't no boundaries. So hopefully it we can get no we hopefully we can get past that and and on to the next and deal and deal with some of these uh bigger issues and you know I don't know if we'll ever see a full coming together of everything. I don't even know if that's a reality, but it can it can drastically improve on an individual basis. And you know I will say for myself, man, I am as a friend who knew you from the neighborhood and and also knows 
what you've been through and we you know we've gotten closer recently just from having a conversation like this that that i am personally proud of what you did for the country for the world for yourself for your family and uh kn- knowing it, what you dealt with to do that is inspiring and, and that's Thank what it's all about man all right so this is the first episode of tap in with ali deandre man your, your input was awesome i'm sure we're gonna teach a lot of people a lot of things and hopefully we get some good feedback from this and Everybody gets a little more knowledge on their PTSD and get some help. I guess we all need it no for doubt, sure. Man. No doubt, man. It was a pleasure being on, man. It's always good to be able to give some feedback that's going to maybe help somebody else one day. So it was a pleasure. Yes, sir. All right, y'all. We out. What's up with it, man? It's Mac Moore, and you're tuned in to the Tap In with Ali podcast, where we all about that real talk, and we let that bullshit walk.